encourage you to please have your Bibles with you because we will be reading different portions of Scripture this morning. At the beginning of April, we know our Sunday gatherings came to a stop because of the restrictions due to the coronavirus. And part of that meant that we skipped over some of the messages that we had planned to preach. And so it was decided a couple of weeks back, a couple of weeks back in a meeting that we would go back and make sure we covered those passages. And the first of these is what we'll be looking at this morning. And so a title, if there's one for this morning, is The Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Pursuit of Holiness. And this message was to be preached around Easter time because the Jewish Feast of Unleavened Bread is very connected, almost forms one feast with the Feast of Passover. The two are inseparable. So join with me as I pray, and then as we consider what God would teach us through this festival. Lord, we do ask that you would help us to understand your word. But Lord, we know that true understanding means putting it into practice. And so, Lord, we ask that by your spirit this morning, you would open up your scriptures. Lord, that you would convict us, teach, rebuke, correct, and train us, that we would be men and women living for your glory. Through Jesus' name we ask. Amen. We read this in Mark chapter 4, verse 12. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations to eat the Passover? So the festival on unleavened bread began pretty much with the sacrificing and the sharing in the Passover. Now, through the years, many of us have probably considered the festival of Passover. But have we considered, and if there are some, probably rarely, have we considered the festival of unleavened bread? And it's important that we look at these festivals, these feasts, because God actually gave seven of them to his people when they were gathered at Sinai, and they're not just festivals that have an end in themselves, but they're festivals that are prophetic. They're festivals that God gave to his people that pointed towards something that he was seeking to accomplish and would accomplish. And so let's dig into this feast of unleavened bread. Now, we don't often use the word leaven. We typically use the name yeast, leaven and yeast, the same thing. And the festival of unleavened bread, as James read to us from Exodus, focuses on and has a very important focus on getting rid of all the leaven that is in your household, in your life, and making sure that you eat bread and partake of loaves that have no yeast, no leaven in them. In the Gospels, Jesus describes how a woman in the kitchen would use yeast. He says it's like yeast that a woman takes and mixes into a large amount of flour until it's worked all through the dough. And so yeast was part of this baking process because yeast or leaven has a very significant property. Firstly, you might not have realized, as I've discovered, is that yeast is actually a living organism. It's a microorganism. And as that bread is kneaded, the yeast is in there. And as the air bubbles and everything is being trapped through the kneading of the dough, that yeast is actually feeding, you could say, and multiplying. And as it multiplies, it gives off gases that causes the loaf to rise. And that's one of the properties of leaven. 
as we read in Galatians 5, 9, a little leaven, a little yeast, ends up working itself through the whole batch of dough. So the Feast of Unleavened Bread, if you have your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 12. The first part of Exodus 12 really highlights the things we're familiar with, with preparing the Passover lamb. But once you get down to verse 14, God actually instills another festival that's to be a lasting ordinance. They were to keep on doing it. They weren't to celebrate the Passover without celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The two had to go in conjunction. And so on the first day, they needed to go throughout their houses. And they would search high and low to make sure there was no leaven. And it wasn't enough typically for a Jewish person just to go to the cupboard. They would look around the house to make sure there weren't any crumbs or flecks of leaven anywhere. And this would happen on the day when the Passover lamb was to be sacrificed. Because on the first month of the year for the Jews, the month of Abib, on that 10th day, each man had to go out and pick a Passover lamb. It had to be a year old, had to be a male, it had to be without defect. And then they had to care for that lamb until the 14th day, which is where we overlap with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And at the time when the Passover lamb was sacrificed, that would sort of lead into or show the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread was to be a Sabbath. People weren't to do regular work. They would have come before the Lord and had to make sure they ate bread without yeast and they would gather together. And this would go for seven days until the seventh day. That was to be another Sabbath, no regular work, eating bread without yeast. But if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you'll see that with the worship of God, unleavened bread wasn't just limited to this festival. All bread associated with worshipping God had to be without leaven. We read in Judges of Gideon, Gideon was confronted by the angel of the Lord. He prepared a meal and he prepares the bread without yeast. The bread in the temple that the Levites were in charge of had to be mixed of flour that had no leaven, no yeast. If you were to make the vow of a Nazarite to dedicate yourself to God, part of that meant preparing bread that had no yeast. When the priests were to be consecrated, Part of that process involved them preparing bread that had no yeast. We read in Leviticus chapter 2, verse 11, every grain offering you bring to the Lord must be made without yeast. For you are not to burn any yeast or honey in an offering made to the Lord by fire. And in Exodus 23, 18, do not offer the blood of a sacrifice to me along with anything containing yeast. All worship, and it was really driven home to the whole community during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, had to be free of yeast. At Passover, it was clear that they could be covered by the blood of the Passover lamb, but they also had to partake of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Because if they did not partake of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they could not be covered by the Passover lamb to be cut off from God's people. So let's turn to the New Testament 
and we've read before from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'll read verses 6, 7, and 8, because these are significant or emphasize. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, and that's pointing to the festival of unleavened bread, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. And so we read in these verses that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. He is the Paschal, the Passover lamb. But here we also see that that Passover lamb and that Passover feast leads into the fulfilling of another festival. And that's the festival of unleavened bread. And because Christ is our Passover lamb, everyone who belongs to his church, we are all called to also keep the festival of unleavened bread. So that we, the body of Christ, as if we are one loaf, might be a loaf that is without yeast. And we're repeatedly shown in the New Testament that yeast is a symbol for sin. But it's not just sin in general. In its context each time, it is sin that has crept into the loaf. It's sin that is creeping into the church. And like yeast, if it is not dealt with, it will spread. It will multiply. This yeast, this sin, this unholiness that infiltrates the church, we need to be aware of and to make sure it doesn't spread and make sure it's removed. In Luke chapter 12, verse 1, Jesus said, when you're speaking to his disciples, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. That's an example of yeast. As we see in Matthew chapter 16, false teaching is yeast. Here in 1 Corinthians 5, boasting and pride is yeast. In verse 8, it's malice, it's wickedness. In Galatians chapter 5, it's anything that keeps us from obeying the truth. It's anything to do with sexual immorality, greed, idolatry, slander, drunkenness, swindling, etc., etc. That is the yeast that God calls upon His church to make sure is not in the dough. The people of God must remove the yeast, the sin. And so there we see what that festival is pointing towards, what God had in mind. We of the church who share in the Passover lamb are called to share in this festival, which essentially means through pursuing lives of holiness. God's people are to, we're to search our lives and to find the yeast that displeases God yeast that can end up corrupting the dough and with God's help we are called to remove it and take it away so that we can be holy. Here's a familiar verse 1 Peter 2 9 but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation a people belonging to God and 1 Peter chapter 1 
verses 15 to 16. Let's turn to this verse because it's very important. In Leviticus, we hear much about the festivals and there's a repeated refrain, be holy because I am holy, says the Lord. And this is applied to the church in 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. But just as he who called you is holy, that is God, so be holy in all you do. For it is written in Leviticus, be holy because I am holy. So what will that look like for us to be holy? Well, we don't want to just start looking at ourselves and trying to work out the things removed. Really, holiness can only be understood if we start with God. Because God alone is holy. We need to meditate upon Him. We need to know God through the Scriptures. Because God's holiness is everything that makes Him separate, other, distinct from us. When we consider the holiness of God, it fills us with wonder and awe. God is unique and glorious in His perfect, moral, righteous character. God is distinct in His eternal, incorruptible nature. God is distinct and separate from us in that He is of infinite worth and value. God is utterly distinct from us in the honour that is due to His name. Because as the Word teaches us that one failure rightly results, one failure of not honouring Him rightly results in eternal punishment. There is no one else like God. That is why he is holy, because he is different, he is separate. God alone is holy. A few weeks back, we heard this quote from John Piper. God's holiness is his infinite value as the absolutely unique, morally perfect, permanent person that he is and who by grace made himself accessible. His infinite value is the absolutely unique, morally perfect, permanent person that he is. When we consider God's holiness, that leads us to giving him glory. It causes us to fall on our knees and worship him. We read in Revelation 4.8 that the heavenly creatures declare and sing and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Those creatures in heaven never stop saying day and night, 24-7, without seeing, holy is God. And it fills them with wonder and awe. God's holiness is what makes him so glorious. And it was the same that was refrain that was being sung back in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, when Isaiah got a glimpse of the Lord. And without ceasing through all this, that millennia, they were still singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And what does a sinful man do when confronted by a God of such holiness and glory? Isaiah tells us he was filled with fear. God is holy and He is not. God is without sin. And God is pure. And He is but a creature that has lived in rebellion against God. 
that God reaches into his creation with his holiness and whatever God touches or claims or wherever he is becomes holy. God establishes the temple that was a holy place as is his holy dwelling place in heaven where he is seated on his holy throne and has his holy name. He says again and again, you are standing on holy ground. God's angels, those who serve him, are his holy angels. The holy land, the holy hill, the holy city, God's holy temple with a holy priesthood. The garments that the priests had to wear were holy, which meant they put them on when they entered the temple and they took them off when they left. Those clothes could not go out. The vessels of the temple could not be used for anything else but in the temple because they were holy. The offerings, the food were holy because they were God's. God's holy prophets, why were they holy? Because they spoke his word. God's holy law, because it comes from a holy God. God's holy scriptures we're looking at this morning because they are his scriptures and the faith, the gospel, the Bible even says is a holy faith. Our holy father. And this is the wonder of Easter as we remember the cross, the Paschal Lamb, Christ the Passover Lamb. He, the Holy One of God, came and atoned for Isaiah and for all God's people from the beginning of time to the end of time. With his death on the cross, he was the Lamb that was sacrificed at the wrath, the consuming righteousness of God should consume an unholy people, but Christ bore that wrath. And so we rejoice for Christ, the Passover lamb. But here's an extraordinary thing. Again and again, we see that holy things are God's special things. They are precious to him. They are just for him. To be holy cannot be considered common. And yet God says, that we read in 1 Peter 2.9, I will make you a holy nation. As you cling to the Passover lamb, God comes to you and says, I will make you a holy man or I'll make you a holy woman. What an extraordinary privilege. We are objects of wrath by nature and yet a holy God comes and his grace and mercy through the Passover lamb and says, I will make you mine. You will be special. You'll have extraordinary significance. So what will it mean for us if we are to live, if God has come to you and to me and says, you are holy, which we do not deserve, what will that look like? And we look to the Old Testament and we see that means we can't live common lives or worldly lives because God has set us apart to live for him and to reveal his glory. We see as we go through the Bible, and I think this is important to see, if you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Three aspects of holiness. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. 
as we remember, as we're reminded of the sacrifice of Christ, Hebrews 10.10, 10, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So as we gather this morning with our faith in Jesus Christ, that is a biblical truth and a wonderful declaration of God, you have been made holy. You and I are holy vessels. Look down to verse 14. Because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So having declared us holy, God is at work in his people now to make us what he has labeled us. God is at work to transform us, to be utterly what we are not. And so what does that mean for us? Turn in to Hebrews 12 verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And so God has made us holy. God is at work making us holy. And so God calls upon his people, pursue holiness, be holy. That pursuit of holiness is putting God's word into practice, is hearing what Jesus says and doing it. Because as we do that, we are being imitated and transformed more and more into the image and likeness of Jesus and so being shaped unto the holiness of God. It's an extraordinary honor that God should look upon us and not dispose of us and cast us away, but set his heart upon us to reshape us and to form us and transform us unto being a holy people. Not just in having been set apart as holy, but by being holy. And that pursuit of holiness is what keeping the feast of unleavened bread is. As you and I keep the feast of unleavened bread, as the Christians in Corinth keep the feast of unleavened bread, they are pursuing holiness. If you participated in the Passover lamb, you will also participate in ridding your life of yeast. Which essentially for us means if we repent, if we believe in Jesus, we also repent of our sin. It's not either or. The believing in Jesus, we lay claim to the Passover lamb. The repenting of our sin, we share in the feast of unleavened bread. It's not either or, it's both. In our lives, we cannot cling to the yeast of sin and say we're clinging and putting our hope in Jesus, the Lamb. We can't hold on to Jesus with one hand and be holding on to as much yeast in our other hand as we can. If we cling to Christ, we are, by grace we let go of the yeast that we hold on to Christ with both hands, unto holiness. Holy vessels don't profane the name of God. And given that we are one loaf, part of his body, the church, we together strive to make sure the loaf is not leavened, is not corrupted by yeast, but is holy. And this is the constant call throughout the New Testament. This is one of the reasons I encourage you to have your Bible 
because we see throughout the New Testament, we are again and again, whether we realize it or not, are being called to keep the feast of unleavened bread. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. few verses in each of these but follow on and look for how the way God wants to live and look for the where the word holiness appears so Ephesians 4 starting at verse 21 surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self rid the yeast, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Here are some examples. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. In need, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. What will it mean to keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread? Let's read on into chapter 5. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's the Passover sacrifice could be there. But here's the feast of unleavened bread. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this you can be sure no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Turn with me to Thessalonians. Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica about being holy. Start at verse 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. That word sanctified means to be made holy, which means that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. On we read as we go through, down to verse 7. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life without yeast, to be unleavened. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. 
One more. To Peter. It's everywhere once you start looking how God is calling upon his church to keep the feast of unleavened bread or to bring it to its fulfillment. 2 Peter 3 verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything and it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives without yeast as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That is the constant call for us who share in the Passover lamb. That Passover feast and the feast of unleavened bread took place in the first month of their year. At the beginning of every year, as a nation, they would stop and celebrate the Passover and the feast of unleavened bread. It was almost their defining feast. It was who they were as a people. We are the people who share in the Passover lamb, who have been saved by the Passover lamb, and we are the people who rid the leaven from our lives. And here's the first direct challenge for us. Are we defined by these festivals? And it's not either or, it's both. We need to be a people who are defined by the Passover lamb, Jesus, and defined by people who are ridding yeast, sin from our lives. This morning too, have you come to the Passover lamb? Without the Passover lamb, you can't be saved. Repent, turn from your sin, come to Jesus and he will wash away your sin. You'll be seen as holy by God. This is remarkable, as if you had never sinned, as if you'd always lived a holy life. So that when God looks upon you, you can come into his presence because of what Jesus has done. God will keep no record of sin. God won't remind you of any sin. It is gone. And so you have been set free from the wages of sin and you'll receive the gift of eternal life. And so today, have you truly come to the Passover lamb? But let's not brush over the warning that we have here too. You can't feed on the Passover lamb while also feeding on yeast. It's those who are do that, we are told, cannot come to the Passover lamb. You can't live a life of willful sin. You can't live in rebellion against God and yet keep claiming the Passover lamb. Those whom God saves through the lamb are transformed. As you read through the Bible, you see we are made a new creation. We are turned into a people who seek the sin and seek to remove it from our lives. There's a wonderful encouragement here this morning. You and I, we're jars of clay. We're so fragile. But we are holy jars. That transforms everything. However you see yourself and all your frailties, with all your limitations, with all your frustration, God sees you through Jesus as holy. You are his treasured possession, Deuteronomy 7, 6. 
He looks upon you as a heavenly father, looks upon something that is so precious and special to him. And so we respond to him with our love. We want to obey his commands. We want to live lives that bring him glory. We read in Exodus 13 with the son looks at his dad and says, why are we doing all these things? Exodus 13 verse 8, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Why do we rid our lives of sin? I do this because of what the Lord has done for me. He saved me from slavery to sin and from death and shame. And so I don't want sin. I don't want to cling to the things that crushed Jesus, caused Jesus to be crushed on the cross. I want to live for him. He set me free from sin. Titus chapter 2. We read here Titus 2 verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That's the feast of the Passover. That here's the feast of unleavened bread. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives, not one day, but in this present age. God saves us. And he's at work in us to sanctify us, to make us holy. His spirit is alive in us. We don't do this in our own strength. The verses there say God gives us the grace we need. What a wondrous glory that we should share in. That God should be at work in you and in me, making us to become more like him. Knowing what we are. Having been created in his image and Trashing that image, God is at work restoring it and transforming us into the image and likeness of Jesus so that you and I can live lives that bring glory to Him. And so you may have considered the feast of Passover many times, but I ask you this morning, all of us, have we just as seriously considered the feast of unleavened bread? And what God calls us to. Because this is where we started. And this is what God says to us as a church. Get rid of the old yeast. That we may be a new batch without yeast. As we really are. For Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the festival of unleavened bread. Not with the old yeast. The yeast of malice and wickedness but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. I'll pray. Father God, you are holy. We must boggle the minds of the heavenly creatures that you should look upon sinful men and women and say, I will make them holy to me too. Lord, we thank you so much for Christ, our Passover lamb, who bore your wrath for every act of unholiness in our life. But we thank you, Father, that you have poured out your spirit upon us. We thank you that your law has been written upon our hearts. We thank you that we are your handiwork, 
created in Christ Jesus to do your good works. We thank you that you have begun a work in us that you will bring to completion. And so, Lord, this morning we come before you asking that you would work in our lives that which is pleasing to you, that your grace would be effective in our lives unto saying no to ungodliness. And, Lord, that we would follow your spirit, that we would walk in all that is good and righteous and true, that we would be men and women who bring glory to you, show your glory, show your honor, show your holiness. In Jesus' name, amen.